Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This week on our panel, we have Jillian Rowe. Hello. Jonathan Hall. Hola. Will Button. What's going on, everybody? I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. I do have to say, Jonathan, that since you mentioned Jonathan Stark before the show, I almost called you Jonathan Stark. But... Ooh. <laughs> Wouldn't have been an insult. I like the guy. I know, right? <laughs> Ditch hourly billing. Anyway. <laughs> Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, we, we're discussing talking about kind of the difference between dev and DevOps and, you know, kind of picking your career path or maybe making a transition from one to the other. I'm I'm kind of curious, yeah, just where to start with this because there's there's so much here, and I have to say too that I have I have blurred the lines on this so many times that like I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule that I would say. Well, if you're doing this, you're this, and if you're doing that, you're that. So no lines. I think it's a big blurry, fuzzy area. Yeah, I think you can't do DevOps without doing Dev also. But can you do Dev without doing DevOps? Yeah, yeah, but you not very write well. Code you never deploy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, the thing is, well. is it works on my computer, like, Jonathan. Stop that. Well, <laughs> a lot of the DevOps stuff that happens, at least in my job, because I am a full-time software developer, I mean, we do kind of just, we push it in and somebody else is responsible for how it gets deployed. But at the same time, I mean, I am very free and handy with that Docker Compose file in there. So, I mean, I would say if you're a software engineer, maybe we could say your primary responsibility is writing code. Whereas with DevOps, you tend to be kind of like one... I don't want to put like level above in terms of like more senior or anything, but more of like you have a bird's eye view in terms of several systems and integrating those systems and making sure that they're all kind of getting out the way that they need to be. So I very often these days write integrations between systems, but I don't really think I write software anymore, which I guess is, yeah, it's a great area. I mean, how much code do you have to write to say that you wrote software as opposed to I made this system talk to this other system sometimes when I can't avoid it. Yep. Well, and then you've got infrastructure as code, right? So you might actually wind up writing code that then deploys infrastructure or manages infrastructure or sets a shape around infrastructure. That's true. <laughs> I've been really into that lately for like, uh, so I have Terraform and it deploys my, you know, clusters or whatever it is that I'm working on that day. And then I actually used to like to use something like PyTest to really get into the sort of nitty gritty testing of the infrastructure and also to make sure that I have at least some kind of like integration test between 
the system and what the system is meant to do. So if it should be serving, uh, you know, like in my case, it would be like serving a machine learning model or mm-hmm. looking at images or like working some kind of workflow that it's also able to do that. Well, it's interesting that you bring up machine learning, too, because on Adventures in Machine Learning, we talk quite a bit about ops, right? More so than in other shows on other, in other, about other fields, because like Ruby or JavaScript or whatever, you know, a lot of the conceptual stuff is is language specific and mostly you just kind of, you know, run a command to kind of spin up your your app and you just see that it works on your machine. But with MLOps or with machine learning, it's different, right? Typically you have to have some kind of infrastructure to to put it to. And so machine learning, they're a whole lot closer to ops because they're kind of forced to be in order to test their models and stuff. Yeah, they typically have uh, too much data or the data is too intensive to work on a single laptop. You pretty much always have to be off on some kind of cluster. So they sort of get Mm -hmm. forced into it a little bit more, I think. Yep. Yeah. The other thing, though, is that a lot of times the tools you use, even once you have a built model, it's just not something you're going to run natively on your machine. So you're you're at least going to have a Docker container or something that kind of has your model in it and set up. and, And so you're still playing the ops game, even if you're just playing small stakes local stuff. Yeah, and I also think for a lot of these, uh, for the machine learning and the data science and all that, kind of all the precursor to that was sort of the traditional high-performance computing, which sort of, Mm -hmm. I think you were forced into learning at least a little bit of DevOps. I don't ever remember it being called that until like a couple of years ago. Maybe it was, like, I don't know. But, uh, But you at least had to get sort of used to this idea that you were not running code, like, where you were logged in. It's you were gonna submit a job and your code was going to go like run someplace else on a completely different computer and you had to at least know mm-hmm. a little bit about the memory CPU. You had to know if you needed something like MPI or an Apache Spark cluster or something like that. Whereas maybe with software engineers, if you're just doing straight software, you tend to execute like more in your environment. So like I could log into a terminal and start doing stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, in machine learning and data science, I don't think we do that as much. Yeah, but even in those cases, you wind up doing fun stuff with different architectures on your system, right? So maybe you have a message queue that executes jobs, or you have microservices of some kind, or things like that. And so you still have to understand at least how it's how the responsibilities are divvied up between applications and how they talk to each other. And so that that's where I'm seeing a lot of the lines blurred. I mean, even in the more traditional software, it's okay, well, I still have to know how this stuff goes to gets run and who's running it and where they run. Yeah, I think we're seeing that kind of a spillover into organizations that are starting to use serverless as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's not even just that. I mean, let's talk AWS for a minute. You know, I mean, they have SES, they have, um, I can't remember the names of all their stuff, but they have a couple of different uh, message queues, queuing options. They've got database options. They've got I mean, pretty much any service you could think of, email. I don't know if they have text messaging or not, but maybe you're using a Twilio or something like that. I mean, all of this stuff goes into how this stuff is architected, and typically it falls on the ops folks to manage how all that stuff is available and talks to each other, more so than the developers, right? The developers are usually working more in the vein of APIs and stuff like that, and so... um you know, and they just they have local environment variables set up and sandbox stuff that ops may even help them with. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of this stuff, both the developers and the ops folks wind up dealing with as as the app gets fleshed out, because you have to understand it as from the developer end too. you can't just assume that, 
hey, you know, I'm just going to put this out there and something's going to pick it up, right? You kind of have to know what that something is and how that's going to come together. So, yeah, I think that's another interesting point. Like, how much are we going to expect for people to know as time goes on? Like, it definitely used to be the case that, uh, like, I would work with scientists and they really didn't have to know anything about HPC or Spark or anything like that. And, you know, and then sort of the whole concept of a data scientist came about where now apparently we do expect for the scientists and i think it's the same thing for developers too right like we expect for developers to know about uh i don't know message queues and passing things along which was not such a thing when i was still writing software because Perl cgi was still cool then so i don't i don't know quite what's happening in like this this new modern world of software engineering yeah i think one of the things that that really stands out to me in this whole pattern is the like the main difference, and I think it's what we started to started down this path to talk about is like the difference between software engineer or software developer and DevOps. And there's so many overlaps, but I think that one of the big things that stands out is not really the difference in the work that you do, but who your customer is. So like as a DevOps person, your customer, I, I think of my customers as being the software engineers who are writing the application code and those software engineers i think their customers can be thought of as either the management of their company or the the customers of their company who are buying the product that's a good distinction i like that and then we introduce sre into that (laughs) right and i think from an sre perspective everyone is your customer i mean for the most part you know like you're you're measured on the availability and performance metrics of the customer facing application, but you have to interact with, with all levels of the company to be successful in that. I like SRE. That's where you have like real data backing up your claims. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wonder if we could ask this question from a, another angle just to, to dig in a little bit more. Like when you hire somebody to do DevOps, what kind of dev experience do you want and what kind of ops experience do you want? Would that help to inform the question? That, yeah, it is a good question. Oh, well, I'm hiring people now, which is uh, going about as well as can be expected. So I can answer that. I mean, yeah, so I suppose <laughs> from the first thing I want at least some level of CI, CD, which I think we were talking about last week. You know, we want uh, some level of I push code and it goes out and some level of also testing. Like I want at least some kind of guarantee that this code is working and uh, or that this infrastructure is working and that then it's going to be deployed for me. All the things get deployed on AWS. So yeah, I would say the CI/CD is probably the the baseline, and then also, uh, and then after that, for me at least, comes the site reliability. So the CI/CD, I, w- I would assume that includes a, a minimum amount, at least amount of programming, probably some Bash or Python, or maybe people, maybe you still use Perl along with your CGI skills. I don't know. Uh, so some some sort of programming in that sense. Is that fair? Yeah, I've actually been really into taking like PyTest because I don't know if you guys have been following this, but you know, from the small amount of software engineering that I follow, there's this thing called an open API spec that seems to be like taking over. So, you know, one day we're going to reach the singularity and the open API spec will be like in the center of that. But Kubernetes, for example, follows the open API spec and now they have a Python client, which is really nice for me because, you know, um, I'm working mostly with people who do Python or who do R because those are two pretty common languages in the in the data science world. And so that like makes a really nice integration for me and that I'm able to be like, so what is this piece supposed to be doing from like a purely scientific point of view? So for now, example, I'm working with a company that's deploying this really cool SaaS application to do like self-service data analytics for uh, genomics companies. 
And one of the things that you have to have happen is that it has to load this data set into memory. And it's kind of difficult to test that from like a, like just purely, so let's say Terraform. So from a purely Terraform perspective, I can say there is maybe an EC2 instance and it's up, but did the data set get loaded into memory? Like that's, that's quite a difficult thing to test with code, but it's also, you know, it is part of the deployment strategy that this thing has to be deployed. So I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying getting into those sort of interesting, can I call them full stack? Like, does that work? You know, like these full stack <laughs> kind of cases where everything, you have these layers of things that have to get deployed and you want to make sure that the integrations between them are correct as well. I think the only word less defined than full stack is DevOps. So I think you're in good company. Using that <laughs> good, good. I'll stick with that then. I'll be right back. I'm going to update my LinkedIn profile with full stack DevOps. <laughs> see, see, there we go. There you go. Well, it's interesting, too, though, because you talk about that as kind of joking. But I mean, to a certain extent, here's another bleed over is the build process, right, for front end assets, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. are you managing Webpack? Are they managing Webpack? Absolutely not. (laughs) Or does anyone manage Webpack? (laughs) Webpack manages you. (laughs) I was going to say for some for some definition of manage, I think. I think anyway, but but then you have to set it up on CICD so that it will build, right? Or so that it builds when it deploys or however you do that, right? I've seen it done both ways. So maybe you are full stack DevOps. Nice. That's a good point, though. I've I've dealt with that in the past. And to me, I think that's a really good example of where the line just gets super, super pixelated and blurry um, because I'll be managing a CICD pipeline that kicks off webpack and then get this artifact out of it and for whatever reason not be happy with it due to either an error or looking at the you know the bundled javascript file size was you know two and a half gigs or whatever and then you start down this this webpack path and i'll typically go grab the someone from the development team who's familiar with it and then just Mm -hmm. tag team it you know and because they i don't have the the webpack experience to know what it's trying to do and a lot of times the software engineer who built it doesn't have the webpack experience to know why the end result turned out that way so then you just leverage the skills that each other has and and fight your way through it and once you fix it pray that webpack never breaks again that's been exactly my experience the last <laughs> time i was the last time i had a a, a problematic front end build neither the front end developer who, de- who who was responsible nor i as the one doing the deployment really understood it fully so it was it was a very much a collaborative effort to to do that i guess that's called cooperation can we call that devops maybe <laughs> full stack yeah back to the point we DevOps. made the other there we go <laughs> will's going to run out of characters that he can use in his job title on linkedin right i'm going to have to bump blockchain off <laughs> Yeah. Well, you don't need AI and machine learning in there. So, right. And if you just regex it, I'm pretty sure I've got an A and I and an M and an L in there. So, maybe oh, there it's you still go. Hits. It'll be like maybe. a puzzle. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely interesting to see where it's all headed. So, I guess there are two angles that I'm kind of interested in, in talking about. One of them is, yeah. So, if I'm, if I'm coming in and I'm not sure if I'm a dev or an ops or uh, something else, how do I decide which career path or which uh, thing to kind of come double down on and and make into my thing? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I get asked that occasionally too. And I, I suppose that describes me early in my career. Of course, 
early in my career, DevOps wasn't invented yet, this term. But the way I would generally encourage somebody early in the career to address that is get a job, an entry-level job, and start doing something and see if you like it. Mm-hmm. And if, if possible, get a job in a small enough company where you can put your fingers in both pies at the same time, uh, or at least a small yeah. enough team. It doesn't have to be a small company. But if you, know, if you can start at a, at a company that only has 30 or 40 engineers, there's a really good chance that you could, with, but just by asking your manager, help with the Docker Compose file or help with Terraform or whatever they're using. If you, if you start at, uh, at a 10,000 person company, it might be a lot harder. You're probably going to be stuck on a team that's more or less focused on a particular area and, and you may not have that flexibility. It uh, depends a lot on how the company is organized. But um, mm-hmm. if you're really not sure, that's, that's what I would advise is get a job, commit to a year or two at least at, at that company, see what you like, try, try a few things. And if you love it, stay at the company the rest of your career if you like. You know, that's, that's your choice. But uh, try something and see what you enjoy. I like it. What were you going to say, Jillian? I was going to say, I have pretty much the same opinion, except that I've, I don't know, like I've kind of heard my students have quite a bit of sort of angst about this. And I always try to tell them, you know, like calm down a little bit, get a job. I kind of advocate what Jonathan said, where if you get like a job in a smaller place in a smaller company, you'll get the chance to try different things. And over time, opportunities are going to come your way and you're going to find yourself kind of drawn to one path or the other. And then it's going to become kind of obvious. And then uh, your career should be the thing that you're not sick of right now. So if that's like more in terms of the DevOps roles, like go call yourself a DevOps engineer. If it's more, you know, if you're really like, no, I want to sit here and write code and figure out how this application is supposed to work, then go do the software engineering route. But I think overall tech is like fairly forgiving once you're in that you, you know, technologies change and titles change and, uh, you know, probably your tech staff and uh, your focus is also going to change over time too. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. worry about it too much. That's definitely true, I think. I mean, even if you wanted to completely change careers from, say, front-end React developer to hardcore Kubernetes engineer or something, you know, it's a little bit harder to do that, but you could do it. It wouldn't be, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's certainly easier to do that than to go from pet groomer to Kubernetes engineer. So, you know, it, it's, it's within the realm of possibility. You can always, you can always move around within the IT industry. And not only that, but there in five years, there will be jobs you've never heard of because they don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll go in thinking, am I going to be a backend engineer or am I going to be DevOps? And they're going to invent something that's way cooler and way better for you. And, and you'll forget all about backend and DevOps anyway. I mean, when I started my career, DevOps wasn't a thing. And now that's what I'm focused on. So just get your feet wet. Start playing around and, and see what you enjoy. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, I think to add on to that, I agree with what you're saying. Um, The only thing I would add to that is embrace the change because things are going to change whether you want them to or not. So like you can go in and yeah, you can go in and try something and say, hey, if this isn't, isn't for me, I'll try something different. But under no circumstance will you ever go into a job and say, hey, I like this. 
I'm going to write this same code for the next 30 years until I retire. It'll just never happen. So change is going to happen whether you whether you want it to or not. So just position yourself to roll with that. It's true. One other thing that I'm just going to throw out as well is that it doesn't have to be an either or. I mean, like Jillian and Jonathan said, if you go to a smaller company, you may wind up doing a bit of both and you'll figure out which one you like more. But if you like doing both, small companies need people that can cross over the lines on a regular basis. And so what you may wind up doing is just saying, you know what, I like working at companies of this size because I get to have my finger in all the pies. And so, you know, if if that's where you find your sweet spot, just stay there. Move to another company of a similar size, just looking for somebody that can, yeah, primarily do dev, but will take care of the ops or primarily do ops, but be part of a dev team. Yeah. And also, I mean, like all these technologies and concepts and fundamentals, they all build upon each other. You know, it's yep. not like, I mean, generally speaking, I don't know, I don't think we're usually reinventing the wheel. So I I run around talking about high performance computing sometimes, but that's because, you know, I sat down to learn Kubernetes and the person I was working with somebody more junior and he was like, wow, you learned this so fast. And I was like, no, it's the same thing. It's just, we're calling it a different name. It's all servers <laughs> and storage and networking. You know, don't, don't let anybody fool you with their fancy names. Like it's, it's fine. Calm down. You know, so even if you, it's not like wasted experience or you, you know, wasted your time or your effort or anything like that. Like it, it's always good to know about adjacent systems and. Yeah, all the technologies build upon each other. And sometimes you don't have to be an expert in something if you're just like familiar with it enough. Like, oh, I worked on a small project where I was, you know, working on this technology that can really come in handy later, too. So just I think that's you know, a keep all that in mind. point that really mm-hmm. needs to be stressed that you don't need to be an expert in everything. You can't you be. To, you, you can't be. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to know enough to get your job done. But, you know, I, I know I've talked to many people who have just felt the weight of I need to become an expert in Kubernetes and in Terraform and in Python. And in, you know, the list just goes on and on and on and on. You can't be an expert in all those things. And, and you shouldn't be. There are Kubernetes experts that know Kubernetes really well. They don't know Terraform that well. Maybe they know Terraform a little bit. But, you know, the, the people who are truly experts in any one of those technologies, they're generally experts in one or two of them. And that's OK. Because you don't need to be an expert. I mean, the whole, the whole point of good tools is that you don't need to be an expert in how they work to use them well, right? Oh, you're man. You need to know how to use a <laughs> hammer. That doesn't mean you're a hammer expert. You, you're hurting my feelings because I feel like oh. I'm an expert in everything. I know exactly what to type into Google to find what I need <laughs> in anything, right? And, and what's funny is, is that I've talked to a number of people and they're like, yeah, I went into this job interview and I had to like whiteboard this thing and blah, 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 right? And I'm like, they realize that when you actually get in and do the job, you're just going to go look it up on Stack Overflow, right? And 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 that's the reality, right? Is that, yeah, you don't have to know it all off the top of your head. You just have to be able to solve the problem in a, you know, in the time frame that they need and in the, in the way that they need. And you're an expert. But I did no, want to make that dog, dog rumor to DevOps journey. So. <laughs> a little bit more accessible. You know, in like my first professional job, uh, you know, like after school and stuff, one day the internet went down or after college, rather, one day the internet went down. And I was like, so desperately concerned that my boss was going to find out that I had just been like Googling everything and making it all up as I went along. And then he walked <laughs> in and he was like, oh, the internet's down. Like, you just want to go home. And so then, you know, that, that was when I knew the jig was up. But it was good because that, that made, you know, things so much easier for me because it was like, oh, OK, everybody's just making this up as they go along and we're all just figuring things out. So that was genuinely a very nice thing for me to for me to learn because I was really like worried about that the first couple of months that I got a job. 
Yep. Well, and I think the expertise really just does come into, I have enough experience to know how other people are going to describe this problem and describe the solution so I can Google it. And then once I have the information out of Stack Overflow or off of a blog post or whatever, I know what to do with it in order to solve the problem, right? It's not just Google apply. You do have to have some real knowledge, but the real knowledge is not what people think it is. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if you've ever had work done on your house or your car and the, and the, the mechanic or the repair person says, I don't know, let me get back to you. I've had that happen before. And I've never thought, oh my gosh, this guy's an amateur. He doesn't know what he's doing. I've just thought, okay, cool. As long as you can get it, as long as you can fix mm-hmm. my toilet or fix the brakes, I'll be happy with it, you know? But we, we, I think we put a higher standard on ourselves, and it's probably natural, than we do on other professionals. Or maybe we think the IT industry is somehow unique, but it's, it's not. Nobody knows everything, and, and that's okay. It's funny because I'm the one that fixes the toilets and the brakes at my house. So, do you ever have to look it up on Google? Yes. <laughs> there you go. On the car, yeah, especially on the car because it's like, it's like, all right, how. I can't figure out how to get to this part or I can't figure out what's causing this issue. In fact, I'm going to wind up doing that. I have to go over to my mom's house and install a ceiling fan. And the fan box isn't installed or the light box isn't set up properly for a ceiling fan, right? And I've installed ceiling fans, but I've never installed a fan box, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wind up calling my father-in-law, who's a general contractor, and he'll tell me what to do. But yeah, a lot of times I'll wind up YouTubing it too. And so, yeah, the reality is, is I'm going to people with more experience and getting what I need in order to do the the work. And yeah, it might take me a little longer than it would take like my father-in-law, but nobody expects me to do it the same way that somebody with 50 years of experience would do it. I think the important thing is that you know where to find answers, not that you have it. Yeah. Yeah. And problem solve as well. Like I think over time you get uh, like more confident in your own ability to be like, Nah, I don't know the answer right now, but yeah, like again, like let me get back to you. I'll go, I'll go take a look and, you know, propose a couple solutions and then we'll, uh, you know, like, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. So the other question that I have is we were talking about which career path do you want to take, right? Are you going for more the DevOps or more the dev? But the other end of it is, let's say that I'm, I'm a developer and I'm excited about something that I've been learning with DevOps and I'm thinking, okay, I want to make this transition, right? I want to, I want to move over so that I'm doing more of the DevOps infrastructure, uh, build process, deployment process, CI/CD kind of work. I mean, what what recommendations do you have that way? Same as software, like build build stuff and put it out there. I really think tech is like one of the more equitable. Um, like I know, like I know it's not perfect, but you know, it's really one of the more equitable kind of professions out there because of open source software and because you can essentially have like a portfolio that's completely open to anybody. And, you know, you can go and try out different technologies and go build stuff, often without, like, any money involved. A lot of times it's just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like the cost of your laptop. We've even heard about people doing stuff, like, from their phones and things like that. But, yeah, go a lot of the, if you want to learn DevOps, I think you could go sign up for any of the cloud services. They all have a free tier. A lot of them have, like, free starter projects. There's, is it called Kata, Katacoda? Or something. And I know they have um, a Docker course and a Kubernetes course. I think if you want to get started with DevOps, probably one of the better technologies to learn you can start off with, presumably on your laptop, is Docker. Like that's going to teach you a lot of the fundamentals that you need to know. Like my, my Kubernetes installations are super fancy, but when I'm installing applications on them, they're all installed with Docker. And if I understand the fundamentals and you know, how the host names map and ports and, uh, you know, like how to run commands and things on a Docker container. I also know how to deploy an application on Kubernetes. 
because again, all these technologies build. Yeah, that's true. I mean, my claim to fame is that I have screwed up software on Azure and AWS and GCP and Oracle Cloud. And no, but but I love it, right? Because when you get your hands dirty and some people think, oh, well, I, I got in and it didn't work or I got in and it was broken or whatever. And I'm just going, you made that mistake on your dime, not mine. I am more than happy, <laughs> <laughs> right? To pay you to continue to not make that mistake for me, right? And so, yeah, you know, you figure out what works and what doesn't, and you get this experience. And I mean, that's what people are paying you for. Yeah, I've also heard people doing it the other way, which I think is kind of an attractive option, which is, so here's a problem, I want it solved, here's how I'm going to solve it with tech. And then it's not Mm -hmm. so much about the tech itself, which I think is more the case for me. And a lot of people maybe in the data science field, like I didn't really care about tech the first few times I was introduced to it, like I learned some programming, and I was like, Oh, yeah, this is fine. Uh, it wasn't until it was actually applied to something and that something was building robots that like I thought it was really cool. And then that was what kind of like got me, you know, farther down into the tech field. But it was always this is the problem I want to solve and I want to solve it with tech. I like never, you know, I know some people get like really excited about, you know, some new piece of technology is coming out and they can't wait to try it and this and that. And uh, yeah, I don't think that's ever so much been the case for me. I like I like the problems. Yeah. And I think the learning, like for me, sticks in my brain a lot better if there's something out in the tangible world that I can tie this new knowledge to. Right. Yeah. I mean, when when I got into programming, I had taken a whole bunch of programming classes at college and I thought programming was stupid, which is funny because it's all I talk about anymore. Right. And uh, <laughs> the universe. Yeah, laughing at you. It, it is a little bit. But what, what wound up happening was I, I got a job running a, a tech support department. For, for It was customer support, but it was technical. And initially, I was just one of the, the guys doing the support, right? One of the two guys. And then we built out the team and I somehow wound up in charge. But we went to my boss and said, hey, we need something to keep track of all of the issues coming in. And he looked at us and said, well, what do you want me to do about it? And we're like, well, can we buy one? And he said, no. So we started building it. And that's when it clicked, right? It was then that I had a problem that needed solved that I solved myself. And then it was like, wow, this is really cool. And it's, you know, it's a powerful way to solve these problems. So that's, that's the, the thing that kind of clicks for me when, when you're talking about, yeah, I have a problem that I'm going to go solve as opposed to I'm going to go do this tutorial to, you know, Kubernetes, uh, uh, a Kubernetes thing. Yeah, for me, it was, uh, well, first was building robots. And then it was I wanted to build phylogenetic trees of different frog species. <laughs> That's pretty specific, I think. <laughs> that sounds like a good topic for next week's episode. Right? I know, right? Talk about building frogs. Reptiles are cool. They're very genetically diverse. Some frogs have two mm-hmm. chromosomes. Some of them have three. <laughs> wow. I just feel dumber now. Oh, I'm right there yeah, with you. Go learn like, it. Don't worry. You don't need to be an expert in frog chromosomes to do DevOps. That's right. You can go experiment with it and figure it out. It's like they did not cover this in the public school system in Texas. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, any any other uh, thoughts or angles we ought to cover on this before we do picks? I, I don't think so. For me, I would just highlight again, just pick something, try it, and understand that it's not a permanent decision. It's okay to change your mind. Yep. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is I think talking through this, it just feels so much more approachable than sometimes I think people make it. Yeah, definitely it is. I mean, especially if you're beginning your career, just get a job somewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. it may not be your dream. It almost certainly won't be your dream job unless you have really low level dreams. <laughs> uh, just get a job. Or really high level connections. 
Or, right. Or <laughs> just get a job and start learning stuff. You're, you're always learning stuff. This, this whole career is about learning. You, you learn new things every day you, and you're never, you never reach a plateau. Or, or yep. if you do, it's because you're at a dead end job. But, uh, there's always room to learn more. So just, just start, start somewhere and keep going. Yep. All right. Well, let's do the picks. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Will, do you want to start us with picks? Oh, absolutely. So today, my um, first pick is a book called Working Effectively with Legacy Code from Michael C. Feathers. And it's a software engineering oriented book. But he goes through and spends a lot of time like talking about different problems and like how come this is the solution to that problem. And I think it's really uh, helpful from, from a DevOps perspective because we've all been in, or if not, you soon will be in a situation where you're working with infrastructure or a pipeline or something. And you're just like, I don't even know what this is doing, much less understand how I'm supposed to add whatever thing I've been tasked with doing to it. And so this book does a really good job of like helping you break large, undocumented, complex pieces down with um, barriers around it so that you can iterate and make changes to it without blowing the whole thing up. So that's uh, pick number one. Pick number two uh, kind of ties into what we've been talking about today. It was my pick last week, last week and I'm going to repick it this week. It's a video I released on my YouTube channel, 11 DevOps Projects, DIY DevOps Projects. So I just break down at the high level, 11 different projects that you can tackle on your own to build DevOps skills. And it's been really popular on my uh, YouTube channel. So yeah, check it out. I think you'll find it. If you liked this podcast, I think you'll find that video uh, interesting as well. Awesome. Jonathan, what are your picks? I am uh, listening to an audiobook that is going to be my pick. It's called Failure is Not an Option by Gene Kranz. And this is the book that the movie Apollo 13 was based on. So, of course, Apollo 13 was about the uh, Apollo 13 mission that was supposed to land on the moon, but had an accident and didn't. The book, naturally, as all books do, goes into much, much more detail. Very fascinating listen. And it, it's not just Apollo 13, actually. It's from mission control of Mercury to Apollo 13. So it's it covers about a decade worth of NASA history leading up to and then beyond Apollo 13. It's really fascinating. I've really enjoyed these books about flight, uh, about aer early aeronautics, uh, about early space travel. And, and there's so many parallels to what we do in, in IT uh, in the way that we've, we're we solving problems. These problems are maybe more exciting. Landing on the moon is a pretty exciting proposition. I, I bet few DevOps engineers will be doing that. But it's the same sort of problem solving and engineering skills. And we learn a lot from, we can learn a lot from the way they attack, attack these problems. Highly recommended. Um, of course, the movie is a good one, too. So I guess that's my second pick is the Apollo 13 movie with Tom Hanks. Nice. Awesome. Jillian, what are your picks? Uh, I'm going to pick a web framework called Strappy. And it is, I guess it's called like a headless CMS. And I really like it. So one of the things that I'm doing is that I am building a SaaS app that is called BioAnalyze. It's on GitHub and I have a page on my website for it too. And it is going to be a SaaS application to deploy data science infrastructure for bioinformatics. 
And I am really bad at web and I don't like, I don't know web. You guys heard me saying earlier that the last time I did web programming, Perl CGI was still cool. That was not a joke. So, you know, so for me <laughs> to get into this, I was like, Oh no, you know, how am I going to build a web application? Am I going to hire somebody to do it? Am I going to do it myself? And uh, I was trying to find some sort of like, and I'm always on the lookout for these kind of low code solutions because I like writing stuff. I don't like maintaining it. So that's just always kind of a good, uh, a good way for me to go and do things. And I just, I really like the way that it's designed. I found it's a really nice way to do, uh, like very like iterative data modeling because you sit there and you can build up. I mean, they call them content types, but it doesn't have to be content if you can model pretty much anything and they have like all the different fields. You can make, um, components like dynamically repeating components. It's just, it's really nice. I like it. And it also has this open API spec. And so you can use the open API generator to like take that spec and translate that into like lots of different kinds of code. Uh, notably for me, Python Flask and Python Fast API, which are sort of the, the two kind of like hot web frameworks in Python. So I'm playing around with that. I might just end up like just using it for the entire front end, at least to begin with. We'll see. Yeah, that's my pick. Cool. I really like the headless CMSs. They're cool, cool tech. Anyway, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. So I I, I've kind of tended to pick books, but the last few weeks, I just haven't been able to go biking or running. And that's usually when I'm listening to books. So I am going to shout out about a couple of other things that I've really enjoyed lately. And then, of course, I'm going to do a board game pick. So the the first thing that I I really enjoyed yesterday was I pulled out my Traeger and I smoked a turkey. And that was that was super fun. So uh, I'm going to pick my Traeger because Traeger is is good stuff. I've got that. I, I was checking on before the show, actually, the thing I was running downstairs to check on is I have the turkey carcass now on the stove to boiling to make a soup. So oh, you mean I like wanted actual, to make sure it was like an actual turkey. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I thought maybe that was some kind of reference that I wasn't getting. Nope. It's code name for a new framework. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What's a Traeger? What is that? It's it's a smoker. It's a smoker. So you put the pellets in the hopper and you turn it on and it stirs them up and makes smoke and cooks your food. Okay, and cool. the turkey turned out really, really good. So anyway, I, I had it sitting in brine for two days and then threw it on the smoker. So good. So juicy. The other thing that I'm going to pick. Um, so I've been playing with Slack a bit. And so I've been setting up some stuff for top end devs there. Um, I'm playing with a system called Campfire. Right now it's in what is it? It's it's not released, so you can sign up to know when they're released and, and they'll get you on board. Um, I actually made a connection that connected me to the people who run it. And so um, what it does is it effectively, when people join the top end devs Slack uh, server, it'll ask que- questions like what shows you listen to, what topics you're interested in, things like that. So that then it can recommend, hey, why don't you join these channels on the Slack server? Why don't you come do these things eventually it'll be you know you ought to look at these courses you know as you as you get into the community the other tool that i'm also playing with a little bit is donut and what donut does is it allows you to put in a command and it'll actually connect you with somebody else that also has put in the same command on donut and it'll allow you to kind of connect one-on-one with them and so then you can uh, network with people through the slack server and anyway cool stuff um, getting all this set up for top end devs. And then Jillian, you might be gratified to hear this, but I attached uh, Auth0 to top end devs. Nice. Um, you talked about it last week. And it, yeah, it took me like 10 minutes. I was like, 
wow, this is a lot easier than building it myself. <laughs> so I'm working on that. I'm trying to figure out how to balance that with Stripe at this point so that people can actually sign up. But yeah, when this goes live, you'll have a couple weeks in order to go and get the pre-launch sale, which is 50% of what I plan to charge for top-end devs. Uh, it'll get you access to the master classes that I'm going to be doing over the next few months and to that first big course that's coming out in January. And then I'm also going to be reaching out to people to do uh, courses or series as part of Top End Devs. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash author. You can put in your information. If you want me to coach you on going freelance or starting a podcast or doing some kind of media channel, uh, that's also available at topendevs slash coaching. And then the yeah, sorry, I picked like eight things. The The board game I'm going to pick this week is uh, Shadow Hunters. And Shadow Hunters, I, I describe it to people as werewolf, except it doesn't suck. So with werewolf, you usually assign people roles and then, you know, everybody puts their heads down. Somebody winds up dead. You try and figure out who the werewolves are. But there's nothing to go on, right? It's just how well do you know the people you're playing with and can you read, you know, read in what they're doing, whether or not they're guilty. And after a while, it, it just, you know, you're just kind of shooting in the dark. And, and anyway, Shadow Hunters, what you do is there are spots on the board you move to that allow you to draw different cards or do different things. And it's a really small board, really simple game. Uh, when you take enough damage, you're dead. And the Shadows mission is to kill the Hunters. The Hunters mission is to kill the Shadows. And then the there are, um, I forget, neutral players, which have their own win conditions and if your win condition is met as a neutral player the game's over you win so yeah anyway it's it's a super fun game really really enjoy playing it with my friends games take anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes most of the time it's 20 minutes um, when we play just because we play it so often but yeah so the only downside to this game is it's out of print so you're probably going to go find it on ebay and pay a little more than i did but anyway uh that's going to be my game board pick board game pick this week all right. Well, we don't have a guest, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you all for being here. Until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.